Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, we've got so many things to celebrate tonight. While they're still on the stage, I want to celebrate Jake and Bethany and their engagement. This Jake, that Bethany, yeah. We love celebrating these new engagements and upcoming weddings, especially folks who meet each other as Christians and meet each other in God's house. We know that he's got great, great things uh, for them ahead. also want to thank Jake Yule for uh, wearing the white shirt tonight and showing off those arms out there. Huh? I, n- I noticed at one point, Jake, when you were playing those leads, you, you turned this way, like, you know, and he flexed them a little bit. I bet he'll be wearing a shirt tomorrow morning. What do you think? Well, join me in celebrating and welcoming once again uh, Waylon Roller, who was baptized last Saturday night. Waylon, it's good to see you back this week. We love, we love celebrating life change and Danny Barclay right out there sitting with his family. Danny, welcome home. We're glad you're here. And then Sunday morning, young Jackson Stewart surrendered his life to the Lord in baptism. It was exciting Sunday morning, so... Those of you that are considering your next steps, I hope that you won't put it off, but that you'll take time tonight, even after the service or later after the message when we offer an opportunity for you to come and take your next step. Please, let's talk about that and let's help you take that next step and get get on track with Jesus. Uh, Grab your Bible and turn with me to the old book, Old Testament book of Joshua. Uh, We begin a new book. We begin a new mini-series within this big series, God's Word. We're looking at this title is Against All Odds. And tonight we're going to talk about how to build those pillars, those Ebenezer, as Ebenezer's as the old word would say, uh, to help us remember what God has done. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 4, and then we're going to go back to Joshua chapter 3 for a little background on what happens there in 4. Well, last weekend, the Israelites, under the leadership of Moses, had just arrived across the river from the promised land, right? They, they could see it from where they had stopped to camp, and they waited on instructions from God. And during that time, remember, Moses sat them all down, and he went through God's commands, God's laws. He reviewed with them their history and talked about their disobedience and why they had had to wander in the desert for 40 years for what should have been a six-month trip. They had been wandering for 40 years until that generation who had denied God's instruction for them to enter Jericho 40 years earlier until that entire generation died off. And now God has buried Moses, he raises up Joshua to take the lead. And in your reading this week, you may have noticed a phrase repeated almost every chapter. That phrase, do not forget the Lord. Do not forget the Lord. Do not forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. Do not forget the Lord who did miraculous signs and wonders when he brought the plagues on Egypt, yet spared you and brought you out of Egypt. 
Do not forget the Lord who parted the Red Sea and let you cross on dry land. Do not forget the Lord. In fact, 177 times that phrase is used. Do not forget the Lord. Yet the Israelites did forget. One minute they would be saying, we will follow you, God, all the days of our lives. And the next they would be saying, make for us a God that we can worship. One minute they would be celebrating God who brought them out of Egypt. And the next minute they would be holding up a calf that just appeared out of the fire that night, right? While Moses was up on the mountain and they would say, this is our God who brought us up out of Egypt. Friends, I think that's more than fickleness and forgetting. If anything, I think this people, God's people, the nation that he raised up so that they could experience his blessing, this is a people whose love and relationship with the Lord is barely skin deep. That's why they kept forgetting. That's why they continuously put God in the back seat. And now at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is dead. Joshua's been chosen to lead the Israelites, a group that's grown to, at this point, well over two million. God chooses Joshua. Remember Joshua, one of the two, one of the two that said, let's do what God's commanded 40 years earlier. He had to walk with these people like Moses did for the last 40 years. And now faithful Joshua leads this group of people across the Jordan River on dry ground, a river that was at flood stage, parted by God, the land dry, the uh, the riverbed dry as a bone as two million people crossed over. And in verse two of Joshua chapter four, we read this. The Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up, to pick up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Verse 6 explains why. To serve as a sign among you, to remind you, So that in the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? You can tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones, God says, are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. A memorial a reminder of something that took place. Whether that something is a life lived, a decision made, grace shown, a future changed, a sacrifice given, a promise kept. It's not the first memorial that God would have them set up and it won't be the last. But it's what's beyond this memorial, the substance behind it that I wanna focus our attention on Tonight, And just to clarify, I'm not talking about how you build such a memorial, how the stones are stacked, where they're to be placed. But I want us to look deeper at the personal experiences with God that give us our memorial, that give us our 
Ebenezer's. So I want you to think for just a moment of a memorial that you have in your life. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about grandma's headstone or maybe the one that you've got set up for yourself already, although that is a memorial, right? This is the life lived. I remember a distant relative of ours. I've shared with you the story before. 20 years ago, he took my dad down into his basement. There in the basement was a pine coffin, perfectly crafted. And this old guy said to my dad, Keith, you're going to be responsible. When I die, make sure they put me in that box and they put me in that grave. And the interesting thing was, his name was Walter. Walter said, I don't want a headstone on my grave. In fact, I picked out a stone and the stone came from the field out there that he had farmed for years. And he said, on that stone, I simply want the name inscribed Jesus because that's all that needs to be remembered of me. It's my savior. I've never met a man more humble and sincere in his faith. What memorials have you in your life? Something that reminds you of a time, a place, a decision, a sacrifice? Maybe it's the ring on your finger. Reminds you. Maybe it's a tattoo on your arm. Someone shared with me they'd like to get one of theirs covered over. I'm assuming that that was a memorial that was made, and and now that their life's changed, they're not pleased with what's there. I I don't know. Uh, That's why you got to be careful, right? Tattooing your wife's name on yourself, stuff like that. Sometimes those things change, right? (laughs) Discharge papers, an anniversary, a baptism certificate, right? Now, where do those memorials take you when you look at those things, when you look at that tattoo, when you look at that ring, when you look at that baptism certificate? Do you think, oh, what a lovely memorial? No. You think back to the events. You think back to the the fall, the decision, the person, the circumstance that comes to mind more than the memorial itself. And that's where I want us to look in Joshua chapter 3. Because in Joshua chapter 3, we see the circumstances, the divine assistance of God behind this memorial that he commanded that they build in chapter 4. So in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, we read about this event of the Israelites crossing over the Jordan River. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. Who would name a town Shedham? <laughs> Shedham, 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 right? I, I just, it's just one of those names you want to say all the time. Except for this. Unfortunately, it's pronounced Shatim, right? Thank <laughs> like God. Anyway, <coughs> the point is they set out from Shedham to a place that was from a place that was familiar. They were familiar with, we'll just call it S. They they were familiar with this place that they had been. A place that was familiar, circumstances that were familiar, to a place that wasn't. 
In fact, the place that they went was at flood stage. The place where they were going to stay the next three days had rushing water, danger all over it. Three days, they had to wait. Now, you know the wait, don't you? All of us struggle with the wait. You know, don't pray for patience because what? You'll be tested in patience, we all say, because we, we hate to wait. Yet God made them wait, and it was just three days. The last time he made them wait 40 days, you know what happened, right? They made the golden calf. So this time he reduced it to three days, but yet they had to wait. The wait that gets our mind going, that makes us start to question. The wait that brings with it anxiety. Yet to God, the wait we experience is as important as the journey itself. Because in those moments when we wait, it is in the wait that God teaches us that he is never late, but he's always right on time. So long before those stones were stacked on the shore that were brought up out of the riverbed to make this Ebenezer, this memorial, there was the weight. There was the weight that Israel struggled with, the weight that you and I struggled with. In fact, when was the last time you had to wait? How did you handle that weight? Uh, I've told many of you who've been diagnosed with cancer, I think that that weight between the diagnosis, right, when you get the MRI or the PET scan and the third or fourth or fifth appointment when you finally, months later, sit down with an oncologist or radiologist or a surgeon to see what the next step is, I submit to you that that weight here, the first one, is the worst of it all. Because you don't know. You wonder, what's going to happen? And you know, God puts in place for us those moments when in our obedience we have to wait on him to move. Why? So that when he does move, we know that it's him. We know that it's him. In Psalm 4610, the Lord said of himself, he said, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. How do you think he's exalted? Because he moves on his own time. He moves when we are still enough to look at him. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And the other thing about this is this command to be still, this command of God was spoken in a time of war. It was spoken in a time of trouble when it's difficult to wait. And so before a stone was lifted on the other side of the River Jordan as a monument, a reminder, the people had to wait. And they had to think about that flooded Jordan. They had to think about what, what's going to happen. What's the next move going to be? Do we have another 40 years? Are we going to have to circle back around? How are we going to cross it? 
wondering what God was going to do only to see him glorified. How's God using a time in your life right now, a time of waiting? How's he using that? In your obedience, are you creating a pillar, a memorial, a reminder so that when you look back at that weight, what you see is God? Verse two, finally, after three days, it says the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Now, that's an important statement. If David were up here preaching, he'd have your highlighters out, right? And you'd be circling and underlining and making your Bible all pretty. And, and I hope you will. I hope you will because it's, it's significant, right? One of the questions that we wonder about when we wait is, is, is what's next? How, how's this going to pan out? What, what, what's his plan? And what's he saying here? He's saying, when I decide it's time, I want you to follow me and I'm going to show you the direction that we're going to go. And more than likely, it's going to be a way that you've never been before. Now, personally, I've been down many of those paths, just like many of you have been. And I don't want any other path than that. I love the opportunity even though those opportunities generally only come through some really painful times, times that we screw things up, times that we've gotten so tired of waiting, we've, we've sometimes stepped back and stepped away. But I love to see verse four, then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Last year in Colorado and Utah and wherever else we were at during that long trek of hiking, even though I was the one behind the wheel, I always drive on vacation. Even when I'm asleep, I'm driving. But it was Sarah who led us to every town and mountain and trail that we would hike. She had done the work. She had planned the course. And she was confident, believe me, in how to get us there. And for those reasons, I was glad to follow her every lead. But yet there are still times when even though she's supposed to be leading us on this hike or this vacation, there are times that I really struggle with not being the lead, with not doing things my way. And in our life of surrender with God, there's only one person to lead the way to the places, the lifestyle, the life itself we've never been to before. Who else? Who else to show us what marriage is to look like than the one who created it? Who else to tell us how and what to teach our children than the one who entrusted them to us? Who else to show us the way through life and tests and trials, even death, than the one who's been through it all, right, Hebrews? We've got the high priest that understands because he's been tested in every way, yet he remains sinless. And the one who's been through it all without 
failing. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. The Israelites were to stay behind the ark. They were to stay behind the ark at such a distance that they could see it out in front. Uh, you've been in long lines. Uh, I'm in a long line every Sunday night at the Walmart, right? I've sent pictures to Sarah sometimes just to prove while I couldn't be at her mother's for three hours shopping at Walmart, right? It's a long line, honey. But you know that when you're up towards the front of the line, the people in front of you are right here, right? And, and so all you can see is the back of their head or their, well, anyway, you, you see them right there. Just remember to back up when you hear the beep, right, Jimmy? Right, if you hear the beep, you got to back up. But anyway, <laughs> some of you don't find that funny, especially when you're the one with the beeper at the Walmart. But anyway, I have no idea where I was at. That's right, the beeper, beeper, yeah. But, but God had them be far enough back, that's what it was. Because the farther back they were, I think it was like something like a thousand feet or something. I want you to be back so that you can what? So that you can see me. So you could see him and what he was doing. He, he wanted all two million of them to see it. And he wants you to see it too. And sometimes the reason why you and I don't get to see what God's doing isn't because he's hiding anything from us. It's because we're still competing with him as to who's going to be in the front, the front of the line. In verse 5, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. What's consecrate mean? It means to set apart. When something's consecrated, you, you remember the old hymn that says, uh, consecrated ever only all for thee. I can't remember the rest of the words, but anyway, consecrated is to be surrendered to God, set apart for holy use. Being consecrated before the Lord means that we're to be fully surrendered to God's commands and his instructions. If we're set apart for him, if we're to be holy, that means that we're in alignment with him. And being set apart, being fully surrendered to God includes turning away from sinful behavior. My friends, we're not consecrated to God when we say, oh God, I love you. Oh God, I'll follow you all my days. And then we're living opposite of how he commands in an area of our lives. God, please please bless my relationship with Charlie. And you and Charlie are living together. He's not going to bless your relationship. You turn away from sinful behavior. Any unaddressed ongoing sin in our life will always get in the way of following God. Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What's that mean? It means don't quench the spirit. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't put out the fire of the spirit. And unconfessed sin is like turning a fire hose on the spirit. You drown it out to where you can't even hear it anymore. 
fully surrendered to God includes that we humble ourselves and are teachable. It means we stop acting like we have all the answers. If you did, you wouldn't be wandering in the desert you're wandering in right now, right? So we humble ourselves and we become teachable. And finally, when we're fully surrendered to God, when we're consecrated, when we're set apart, we're obedient to him alone. We do what we're commanded. We get off the fence. We stop trying to play both sides. There's no half in, half out. There's no pretending. There's no faking it. It's all or it's nothing. You can remember those moments, the times when you went all in before a stone is stacked. There's always surrender. So after three days of waiting, consecrating themselves, listening to the instruction to follow the ark, in verse eight, the Lord directs Joshua to move. Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. So my favorite part of the story. The, the rivers at flood stage, you've been around a, a stream or river like just like, two nights ago, right? Or last night even, uh, they, they were out of their banks. A stream that's usually got a, you know, you know the top edge of the bank like that and then the water's way down in there. Uh, when it's a flood stage, it's up over that bank and out into the grass and the trees on the side. And, and it was always that way at harvest, it, it helped. It helped to wash all the stuff down the river, the chaff and, and all of those things that were not needed. It's a flood stage, it was rushing. If a child were to fall in, and you know there were a bunch of children, if an older person was to lose their footing, somebody like me that just steps off and boom, you hit, a, hit one of the deep spots and you just go end over end. You know, it's not the life of following God that feels like the flooded Jordan River it's the life lived outside of God that feels that way, isn't it? It was going to take faith for the priests to put their feet in that rushing water. Just like it takes faith for you and I to take that first step in obedience to God's plan. I, I respect some of you who've lived the majority of your adult life outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ and then you surrender to him. And I mean, you go all in with him. And you have to take not just that first step into the baptistry. That's, to me, that's the easy one. The hard one is that first step toward bringing your relationships into alignment with his word. I mean, how do you take a relationship that was based on this, you know, being at the bar every night or, or living together and without the promises or commitments. And, and then you surrender your life to God and, and now he wants you to take that first step and that next step after that. I would say it's very much like approaching a flooded river and you're afraid if you put even one toe in, it's gonna sweep you away. 
Yet in verse 10, Joshua says, this is how you will know that the living God is among you and he will do what only he can do. It's when you step and take that first step before he does anything to make it any easier. You take that step of faith into the unknown, into the flooded river. Verse 14 says, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, remember the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence. The Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. In fact, it piled up in a heap a great distance away in a town called Adam. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed on dry ground themselves. Let me ask you, what do you think the priests will remember most about that day? I thought, boy, I think I'd remember how long I held that heavy ark. I mean, that thing's gold-plated and two million people having to cross and you're holding that baby right out there. I mean, that would be exhausting. That's what some of us would think about. Maybe you would think about the two million people that walked on dry ground across that riverbed or, or maybe you would think about that moment that you placed your first foot and then the other into that flooded Jordan. What do you think they remembered most? I think it was that moment. I think it's that moment in my life when I've taken that first step into the water. You remember it, don't you? Chapter four, verse eight, as the people crossed, the 12 men representing the 12 tribes each picked up a stone heavy enough it had to be placed on their back. They carried it up out of that dry riverbed. And in verse 20, it says, Joshua set up the 12 stones as a memorial at Gilgal. You get the point, right? Those 12 stones were what? Those 12 stones were a reminder for those people who didn't cross the river, who see the stones and they ask, what are those stones for? And the people who did cross the river are to see the stones and say, yes, let me tell you about that day. Let me tell you about that three days we waited and we wondered if God was gonna show up. Let me tell you about how for a whole day we had to get rid of the thoughts in our heads that weren't right. We had to get our relationships squared away. We looked at the way we had pierced ourselves and, and the things that looked so much like the foreigners around us. We, we had to get rid of all of that to be consecrated by and for God. Yes, the 12 stones were a reminder that God did something big that day 
when they crossed the river. But for the priests, for the priests, what God did would forever be imprinted on their mind because it was their feet that stepped into the water. They don't need a stone. The people, should they really need a stone when it was they who waded by the rushing waters, who walked across on dry ground at the Lord's command? Yes, stone memorials point others to see what God has done. But listen, it's the moments themselves. It's the moment themselves when we place our trust in God and act on that trust, that's our anchor. That's our pillar. That's our Ebenezer. That's our memorial. For us, these moments, these moments of complete surrender, these moments of complete surrender will forever be part of our memory when our faith was met by action. I thought this week, if all you have in your life are monuments built by others, of course you're gonna forget. <laughs> You've got no skin in the game. You've got no personal experience with the one. Yes, memorials are important because they point people to ask questions, but it's the people themselves who took the walk, who made the journey, who trusted, who consecrated, who stayed the course, who saw God move. They're the ones charged with remembering what God had done. You guys know tomorrow morning at 6.45, 21 of our adults and students have to be at the ticket counter to uh, leave for Guatemala on mission. There's going to be a couple memorials that are built there. There's going to be a house, a house that's built by 21 people, some of which have barely swung a hammer before. And it will be quite a memorial. We've prayed we prayed this Wednesday night, we prayed for the materials even, that they would last decades beyond what normal materials last. That this house wouldn't just be shelter, but it would be a home. A home where the recipients of this house right now have yet to surrender their life to Jesus Christ, but it will be there as a reminder to them of God's love demonstrated through a group of Americans, American Christians who gave up their spring break or a week at work to go and do what their king commanded. The second memorial will be a water purifier. And it will be obvious because there is no other thing like that in the community. It will be at a church, there will be a large tank, and there will be this little purifier that is capable of cleaning thousands of gallons of water a day for 10 years without any significant part changes, basic maintenance. Can you imagine going to that monument every week or every month to get your supply of clean drinking water that you didn't have before that day? You bet there's gonna be a lot of questions. You bet that monument's gonna point to what God 
did, but I submit to you that for those 21 who will be back home seven days from now, it will be the moments of surrender that will forever be part of their memory when their faith met action. When their faith met action, when they had to wait in Miami and go through customs on the way back when they're so desiring to be home next Sunday night at midnight, where their faith met actions in boldly following and going like some of these young people, going someplace that many of us adults haven't ever been. When their faith met action in constructing something that's out of their realm, out of their ability to construct. When their faith met action in a place that can be a little bit hostile. And they laid down their head to sleep at night trusting that the people watching over them would take care of them. These are the memorials of our lives. These are the Ebenezers that we raise when difficult times come next for us. When we're in that moment of waiting, when we're getting ready to put our feet in some rushing water, when we go a direction that everything else in the world is shouting, don't go. God's given us three memorials that we're to observe. While physical, they're also very personal. As the band comes, I, I want you to think about these with me. The first memorial's right over there. It's the cross, right? That memorial points us to what Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago when he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross a little bit bigger and a little bit rougher than that, right? It becomes a memorial to you and I only when we pick up our cross and we follow him. When we deny ourselves, when we die to ourselves and follow him. You, you see what I'm talking about? For one person, it's just a memorial that points to something, but for us, it's everything. It's our experience with him. Baptism. Baptism points the world to a changed life, a, a sacrament, something that religious people do, but for you and I who get in that water, and we entrust ourselves to someone else who takes control of us and puts us down underneath water and brings us back up only so we can die to our old way of life and leave it there in the water and rise to walk with him. For one, it's just a memorial for us. It's everything. It's eternal life. In just a moment, we'll participate in the third, the bread and the cup that reminds us, Jesus said, every time we take of it, it's to remind us of the covenant that he made with us, that he died once and for all for our sins, that he will return for us, but it's up to us to drink of it and to remember one points, the other participates. 
This weekend, I guess what I'm encouraging you to do is before you raise up one more stone to make something for someone, make sure that you live the life that God's commanded you to live so that a reminder needs to be built for others to come to you so that you can tell them about it. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, thank you for the monuments that you've given to point us in the world to you. Today we've got the cross and we've got baptism and we've got communion. Father, may we experience for ourselves by picking up our cross and and carrying it as we follow you. In our baptism, may we lay our life and sin before you to be buried only so that we can rise and walk in the newness of life empowered by your spirit. And in a moment, through the instrument of communion, may we express our complete trust in you for salvation, eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, knowing that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, May our next step be one that builds on the foundation that you've established through Jesus Christ, our Lord. May these Ebenezers that we raise bring glory and honor to you, but also the reassurance in our life that what you've done and what you're doing in us is real. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.